Philippians 1, Part 2, in the sermon series, Contagious Joy, spoken by Pastor Doug Cho. We are continuing in our book of Philippians in this series. And last week, Pastor David did an incredible job just kicking this thing off. Uh, he gave us the text, the context, the basis for this letter, who was writing this letter, where it was being written, and he set this foundation for us. And yes, today we are looking at joy. So if you did miss that sermon, I highly suggest you definitely check it out. But we got to kind of remember what joy is if we're going to talk about it, right? We've been talking about joy for the past couple of weeks. And I love how Pastor David coined it because joy and happiness are, are different things. Although the word joy makes us think of laughter and happiness and smiling, right? But he said, happiness is based out of happenings, but joy is from God. And I believe that to be true today, because joy is not explicit today. We are still in the midst of a pandemic, and people are still dying. In fact, uh, we're starting to see other areas around the world now are, are beginning to see increases of people who are suffering from COVID. A man by the name of George Floyd was murdered on camera. And our news now is filled with violence, anger. Our nation is divided. It's June of 2020. What does joy look like today? This is the question that we're going to be tackling this morning. So if you could just join me in prayer right now. And if we could, I just want us to be still before the Lord and pray that we have ears to hear him, myself included. To hear the word of God, because my word is worth nothing, but his word is everything. Father, would you fill your church with your spirit? Anoint your church, God. That word, ecclesia, I love how Pastor David told us and he reminded us, is not a building, it is about being the church. Help us to be the church, God, to be your hands and your feet. Give us your directive, your word. Would it be more precious than life? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're looking at 1 Philippians, verse 12. 1 Philippians, verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. 
As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life, or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. As Paul writes his letter to the Philippians, normally you would think that he would share kind of how he's doing, right? He's imprisoned, right? In chains as he writes it. So I would think that as he writes this, he would say, you know, this is how I'm doing. This is how I'm being treated. This is how I get through the day. These are the things that I think about. No, he does not give us any of that right now. Because right now, his main interest is the gospel. His main interest is the gospel. So what does he give us? He gives us an update on how the gospel is doing. How the gospel is being pushed forward. How the gospel is being advanced. In fact, he says, you know, I think I've been imprisoned out of this this." this cause for Christ, and now others are preaching it. And I would even say that he was so bold in his preaching for Christ that others were inspired to do so by him. And I want to be clear here. Paul does not have a disregard for his life. It's not that he just doesn't care about himself, right? He cares about his life. But he is fully committed to the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 15 is the statement of how he feels. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? What does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached because of this, I rejoice. Haters are preaching the gospel. Haters are trying to stir up trouble for Paul. They don't like Paul, but in Paul's mind, who cares? He doesn't care. And this is really interesting here because it's not that they're preaching a false gospel. Right? Paul confronts those who do not share the gospel properly. He's always correcting those, correcting churches, making sure that they do not fall, against, uh, fall into heresy. He is passionate against the false gospel. In fact, if you read in Galatians, he wishes castration upon people who preach a false gospel. These people are only preaching out of negative 
motivation. They're preaching out of envy. They're preaching the gospel of Christ out of a place where they just, it's selfish. But Paul says, Paul says, as long as the gospel is truly being preached, who cares? As long as the good news is spread to the glory of God, Paul says, despite their motivations, I rejoice. This is key here because this is the joy that we're going to talk about today, this joy here. Verse 16, I want to focus on this. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here. That, that phrase, put here, it's translated placed here as well. Placed here, put here. There's intentionality there. There's an intent and a reason for him to be in chains, and that is to defend the gospel. If you recall in Acts, there is a constant call on Paul's life to preach, to bear witness, to testify on behalf of him. Jesus appears to him in visions, telling him, Paul, you must continue your journey. Paul, you need to come to Rome. Paul, I need you to testify on my behalf. And despite his hardship, despite being beaten, despite being chased out, despite being shipwrecked, it's all joy to him, this gospel work that he preaches. It's all joy for him to endure this hardship. And I want to jump to verse 22 real quick. If I am go to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. Other translations, uh, they write choose as prefer. And I think that makes more sense because it's not like Paul has a choice here. He's in prison, right? So what does he prefer, life or death? I don't know. And this is to say he's not a death-wishing maniac, right? He's not this fanatic that is out of his mind and just does not care for himself at all. No, that's not the case here. It's that the fact that he has an opportunity to serve the God he loves, to fulfill a calling that God has brought him to, to respond to the voice of God in his life, that is his highest joy. That is everything. And that joy, that joy that comes from outside of himself, that is the unbreakable joy of the Christ follower during societal chaos. That is the joy that we can hold on to when we can witness the kingdom of God come. He was placed there. He was put there for defense of the gospel. Now, would you believe me if I were to tell you that you were placed where you are for a reason, with intent? Our church was placed in Englewood for the defense of the gospel. And that you attend this church for a reason. You call this church your church for a reason. You know, when I was in middle school, I read this book called The Color of Water by James McBride. 
I have no idea why. This book just really stuck with me. And it's a book written by a black man as a tribute to his white mother. And there's this one part of the story when he's young. Um, he looks at his mom, Ruth, and he says, what color is God? Is God white like you or is God black like me? And Ruth looks at him and she responds, God is the color of water. Water doesn't have color. Now, I would modify this statement a little bit and say that God is the color of water because he reflects all colors. God is the color of water because he reflects all colors. And that's gospel truth. Did you know that's gospel truth? Because a major part of the word of God and God's truth to us is that we were made in the image of God. Amen? We were made in God's image. We are all reflections and pieces of our creator. We all hold different reflections of him. And that's God's heart for his people. When you preach that we carry his image, when you preach that God was intentional about giving that to us, and out of all creation, it was only to his people, we preach honor. We preach value from the creator. We preach care for his creation. When you preach the Imago Dei in people of all colors, then you have to admit to yourself that we are all parts of a God and we all look different. So that means God is a reflection of all of us. Because right now, that truth is, is, is being attacked. We live in a structure of systems that seeks to destroy the image of God in black people. The video of George Floyd is a nine-minute video of a murder. It is a nine-minute piece of footage of the desecration of the Imago Dei in a man. And the system of power that responds, responds without accountability. It responds with partners that watch a man kneeling on a man's neck and callously watch him. It is a system that follows up with character assassination to justify its response. I don't care that George Floyd was not a saint. I don't care that he had no flawless record. Why do we have to drag his image through the mud? Just to justify a system this is how the Imago Dei in black men is typically treated today. 
the majority of our church is Asian American. And we have our own race narrative. We do. And we have to wrestle with that. But right now is a chance to proclaim the true gospel to our black brothers and sisters. Right now is a chance to be the light of the gospel of value and equity to our black community. Right now is a chance to love them with gospel truth. To affirm the Imago Dei that lives inside of them. And I want to go off for a second. White people at our church, I want to affirm you that because you have chosen this church and because you have submitted yourself to the leadership of minorities, good for you. That's a start. That is incredible that you've done that. But we have work to do. And I, as an Asian man, I want to see that too. But right now, we have to speak out against the systems of injustice that are preaching to our black community. They are subpar. That they are subhuman. We have been placed to defend the gospel, and it should be our joy to do so. To stand with them. Because right now, when we stand with them, when we show up, when we preach with our presence, when we protest with them, when we join their voices, when we say their names, we affirm that they mattered. We affirm that black people have value. That the image of God in them is precious. That they are worth getting upset over. And that their cries are heard by a God and Savior who loves them. That they're worth it. When we use our power to vote, when I vote for things that may not be in my interest, that may not benefit me directly, but when I vote for leaders who have committed to battling racial injustice, I'm letting my black brothers and sisters know that I refuse to move forward without them. When you do that, when you bring that kind of change to this world, when you call down the kingdom of God in that way, you will experience the joy Paul talks about. I see a lot of people quoting Micah 6. I see a lot of people quoting Micah 6. It's dangerous. Micah 6 is actually an indictment against Israel. The title, the header for this passage is the Lord's case against Israel. God is calling out to his people, what are you doing? God is looking at his people and saying, what have you done? You have forgotten the heart of my law. People love quoting Micah 6.8, but we're going to look at Micah 6.6 first. 
with what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with the thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression and fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? God is saying, no, I don't want any of that. He has shown you, O mortal God, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. It's clear as day. It's not that the Pharisees didn't know God's law. They did not understand the heart of the law. And that's what Jesus came to do. He came to correct that. That's the God we worship. We cannot live as Christ's followers, satisfied with half a gospel, feeling as good about ourselves, like we've reconciled just with God. Ephesians calls us to reconcile with God, yes, but to reconcile with our enemies. (sighs) I'm going to close with the final verses for today. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. The deliverance Paul talks about here is not freedom from his circumstance. He's talking about being before God. He's talking about his testimony before God. He's saying that I will not be ashamed because I have lived my life in such a way that I have confidence that when I meet my God, And when I testify on my behalf to him, he will say, well done, my good and faithful servant, because I have lived to defend the gospel. Are we living to defend the gospel right now? What will God say to you when you testify before him? And I know, I I get it, like defending the gospel nowadays, a lot of people see it as a burden. They see it as a burden. I'm sure that many of us here have shied away from opportunities at work with friends to defend the gospel. I get that. There's no condemnation here. I'm not condemning you. But to Paul, defending the gospel in this way was a privilege. It was an honor. 
It was not a burden to struggle and journey and sacrifice in this way. It was a privilege to die for the cause of Christ. Our lives were bought at a price when God sent his son, Jesus, to die on our behalf and resurrect from the grave. We are born again. We are made new. And the born-again Christian privilege is that we can now lay down our life again for the purposes of eternity. That we can die to our comforts. That we can die to those things. John 15, this is the words of Jesus. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has none than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. See, I won't say God is not going to call you to die. I hope not. I hope not. But who knows? But I do know right now, we can sacrifice our time and our comfort to educate ourselves, at least educate ourselves on racial injustice. Learn and listen to the black racial narrative and teach those around us to do the same. That is the defense of the gospel right now. Enter into discomfort, cross cultural boundaries, intimately love people who carry a different reflection of the image of God. Take care of the vulnerable. And that way, in those ways, you usher God's kingdom here. That is how God is glorified. That is how God is magnified. And yes, vote. Sign petitions. Yes, but you must Preach in this way. And that joy, that joy that you receive will never be taken away from you. Never. That is how you declare the Lord's death until he comes. So we're going to shift into a time of communion right now. And this is important. Our communion is so important because our communion is an act in which we declare God and Christ and what he's done and his, his sacrifice for us and we declare that we long to see him again. We declare we long to see Christ on this earth again. That we long for him to come and to heal our land But as for right now, we have to fill in. We must be Christ to those around us. So when you take this meal together as a church, we commit to him all these things. That the sacrifice of Jesus Christ was not just received, but that it, it was received and now it must be shared. We're going to pray for a second in repentance. And I'd like to call our church to repent together. And I love this. I mean this in the most loving way. 
because someone said this to me, and the tone was really harsh, but it was the most loving thing someone ever said to me. They said, I hope that you despise a selfish faith because it will amount to nothing. And if you even have a hint of that, just go before God. There's no condemnation here, but go to God. Say, God, I want to live for your kingdom, for your glory. There's a communion prayer. Well, it's not a communion prayer. It's a Wesleyan prayer, but I want to share it for our communion today. And I hope that before we take this meal, we can, we can pray this together. I am no longer my own, but yours, God. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you, exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. And the covenant now made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. On the night that he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus, he took bread. And after he gave thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body. Broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, our Lord Jesus took the cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant sealed in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. Because when you eat this bread and you drink of this cup, you declare the Lord's death until he returns. So I want to give you all a chance to just take that together right now. I'm going to pray one more time. Father, are so good and you're so worthy we declare you as worthy God worthy of our time worthy of our affection worthy of our lives Lord 
please use us. Fill your people with your spirit. Convict hearts, God. Help us to surrender to you. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the beauty of your son, his work on the cross. We lift all, all things to you, Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Uh, right now, we're going to go to our communication card. So uh, if you have the Metro app, there's a, there's a section called communication card there. Please check that out. Um, fill it out with whatever information that you're comfortable with. Uh, we just want to be able to connect with you uh, to be able to serve you better. And on that communication card, there's something called the next steps, right? And I just want to walk through those right now. The first one is, I am committing my life to Jesus for the first time. This is our church's greatest joy. And if this is you, please check that off so that we can reach out, that we can walk with you, that we can help you in any way. Any way. We don't want you to do this alone. The second is, I will pray about what it looks like for me to defend the gospel. How is God calling you to defend the gospel? To who? I'm sure that there's someone on your mind right now. The third is I will attend the live stream event with Reverend Kelvin Walker and Dr. Sung Chun Ra on Thursday, June 18th. So we have an event coming up via Zoom, but uh, you can just check it out on Facebook Live or YouTube or our other media channels. And basically, it's just going to be a conversation with Dr. Kelvin Walker, uh, Reverend Kelvin Walker. He's uh, one of my old seminary professors. He's a great guy. Um, he's going to share us a reflection on his experience as a black man in America today. And Dr. Sun Chan Ra is going to speak on his response as an Asian American Christian. And we're just going to dialogue there. There's going to be a chance for question and answer. So please definitely join us. It's going to be a great time. The fourth is I will sign up for Where Was God When George Floyd Was Killed? Uh, a race course starting June 14th led by our pastor Sunita. Um, if you missed this the last time this went around, um, you have a great opportunity right now to learn and to be ministered by our pastor Sunita. Uh, she is an abundance of just information and wisdom. So please join us for that. There is a registration for that. Uh, that will be available this week. So I'll be there. I hope you join us there and uh, that we can just really learn together and dialogue together. The fifth is I will sign up for Sacred Space. This is a different Sacred Space on June 20th to hear and share the struggles that I have with racial injustice and our call to response. So the Sacred Space today is for our black community so that they can lament and mourn together. The Sacred Space on June 20th is for our non-black community, for us to really come together in a safe space and to really dialogue with each other on our response as Christians. Um, and just to support each other and help us help each other along the way. You 
help because we really have to do that. The burden cannot totally fall on our black brothers and sisters. It cannot. So yeah.